the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome back to another episode of the CUSA Underdog Podcast here on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Uh, have another special episode of the show today. We're venturing a little bit outside of our usual scope of conversation and looking at the Mid-American Conference as well as good old CUSA. Joe Londrigan here with you as always with Mr. Eric Henry. How are you doing today, Eric? It is another beautiful day down here in the Sunshine State. Or I guess I shouldn't say another beautiful day because the past couple podcasts I've had to duck inside because of rain, but it is uh, another scorcher. But, you know, all in all, cannot complain, man. But yourself, Joe? You can't see it, but I'm playing a really tiny violin for your... Um, hey, Joe, here's the thing, man. You don't have to deal with uh, hashtag Florida, man, all right? So if anyone should be uh, getting the sympathy here, it's me. <laughs> getting the sympathy because you have to deal with the with the Florida man? <laughs> <laughs> that The Florida man's a real thing, man, all right? You know, uh, you can't just walk in a Waffle House at 4 a.m. down here in Florida and think you're going to make it out alive, man. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. We, we have uh, – uh, Portland man up here, which is a little less violent, I guess, but uh, definitely handing out mixtapes in the corner and spinning a sign for <laughs> cannabis dispenser, which is, you know, I'll take that any day. Um, but uh, before we get too sidetracked, joining us today, he's the assistant site manager for hustlebelt.com, which is the Mac blog on SB Nation. Uh, you may know him on Twitter as at AV King James. He is uh, Mr. James Jimenez. Welcome to the show, man. Hey, I'm glad to be on and uh, go off the Portland man and Florida man conversations. Over here, we have something called a Michigan man who cannot wait to tell you where he went to school. <laughs> Speaking of which, you're a, you're a central Michigan guy. And in listening to your voice, you have a, a, just a lovely upper Midwest accent. Are you from that area originally? Yes, I am. Uh, I ended up here at some point. I, I was a Navy kid. Did a lot of moving around, but eventually I was about nine or ten, I think, and we settled into a little hamlet in northern Michigan, up there in the sticks. Uh, graduated from high school, went down to Central, did all my undergrad there for four years, left the state, did some work elsewhere, then came back up because I missed it a little bit too much. <laughs> Is that still on the mitten where you grew up? Yep. Nice. Nice. I haven't, uh, I haven't been to the UP too much, but, um, I'll have to get back there sometime. Uh, say, uh, definitely not, definitely not a Uper live <laughs> under the bridge, but yeah, I do love getting out there every once in a while. Nice. Beautiful nice. country. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll have to get back there at some time. We used to, we used to take trips up to Mackinac when I was a kid and, uh, yeah, during the summer it's, it's just gorgeous. Um, but uh, to get to the reason that we brought you on, James, um, talking a little Mac football here as it relates to CUSA and the places that we usually cover. Um, but before we get into that, the big topic of conversation across G5 football the last week or so has been uh, UConn officially announcing that they're going to leave the American uh, in football. Uh, well, possibly, but they are definitely leaving the American uh, in basketball rather to rejoin the Big East. Um, and you had an article on hustlebelt.com, uh, very interesting that I recommend everybody go check out about the idea of UConn uh, possibly joining the MAC. So I'd love to kind of uh, pick your brain about your reasoning for that and uh, wh why do you think the MAC would make sense for UConn football right now? 
Well, let me tell you what, it was uh, really kind of disappointing when I was in the midst of writing this article and I had all this momentum going to build a case. And then like, as I was going through, I think my first or second round of editing, like that Brett McMurphy report came out that said that, you know, the Mac wouldn't be interested in taking them on. So I had to like readjust at the last moment and talk about, I was like, well, I think they're missing out on an opportunity here. But like the original reasoning for it is, you know, marriage is a convenience. Some, you know, most of the times they don't work out, but I think in this particular case that it might. I know the Mac is really hesitant to take on any programs that aren't going to become full-time members. That's really been the focus of the Mac ever since uh, uh, Temple and UMass left. Everything okay over there? Oh, can you hear my cat in the background? He's he's mad because he's got to wear the cone of shame for a couple of days because he got neutered. But uh, sorry about that. Oh, poor thing. <laughs> yeah, thankfully my cat can't get in the way of things here. I'm uh, milling about in my basement. Yeah, so. <laughs> sorry about that. All right. Pet Anyways, so full members, that's been the focus since the uh, UMass disaster. But here's the thing about UConn. Like, UConn isn't UMass. You have to look at these things on a case-by-case basis. And yes, UConn has been like the greatest football program in history. You know, at least in recent years, I remember their late run in the mid-2000s and they hit the BCS. I think it was, God, was it Donald Brown at running back back then? Anyway, like there's potential there. The unique thing about UConn, well, UConn and UMass, is that they essentially own the Northeast. They own like an entire region in terms of being like an FBS program of a conference affiliation. And that is something unique that they can use. So that's one thing that you have there because you already have, you already have Buffalo like in like the New York area. You yeah. can link them up with Connecticut, maybe move one team from the East over to the West and kind of reset your divisions from there. The thing about Connecticut in particular, getting back to its football program, is that it's fine being in the Big East in the under 23 schools. It made the right decision to go back to the Big East. The reason you go into the MAC, mm-hmm. one, it's a good geographic fit, or at least it's the best geographic fit uh, compared to. Uh, Conference USA and Sunbelt, which have in recent years trended southward, which we'll get into later. I know you might have a question or two about that. Uh, Number two, it's a peer institution. When you look at it from its football performance standards, its facilities are MAC level. The The type of recruits that they're pulling in are essentially MAC level. You know, and the way that they schedule pretty Mac level. Sure. So it would so it stands to reason that if you put a team like that into the Mac, that they would maintain competitiveness. The problem with Connecticut and the American is that it was okay, you know, it was fine in basketball, but its football program is not up to par. And its football program is also very young when it comes to the SBS. I believe it was pulled up in nineteen ninety nine. That puts it around the same age or actually Akron is older. Akron came up in 1997, Buffalo came up in 1998. When you look at UConn and compare it with some of the other programs 
you know, in Power Five, in Power Five Johns, or you know, G Five Johns, like mm-hmm. that's that's still they're still a very young program, and the Mac is a very good place for a program to come in and stay and remain competitive. Like I mean, Temple left. Temple was fairly competitive when they were in the Mac, and they left for a better conference, you know, in the Big East and what eventually became American. UMass used it as kind of a launching point. And I think that UMass, if they would have made the commitment to go into the Mac as a full member, would be just fine. That's the thing. You just have to give it a chance. And I think, you know, the conference itself, it's been burned too many times on affiliate members. But that doesn't mean that there isn't a good opportunity here. If UConn can find a way to... Know, set up some sort of long-term plan, show a commitment to football, and do it by building itself up within a lower-tier, you know, a lower-tier conference. And I hate having to say that, but it's true. You know, a lower-tier program or conference like the MAC, it can show itself as an attractive asset to have to other conferences down the road because that's ultimately what they want to do is to show that they've got enough to be in a higher conference than they are right now. Certainly makes sense. I realize it's a bit long-winded. No, no, no worries. Um, Certainly makes sense to me, and I think uh, personally jumping to a conference like the MAC or uh, something in in the G5 uh, definitely benefits them more long-term than just jumping down to FCS. What do you think, Eric? You know, in listening to all this, I've had a lot of thoughts on the whole UConn situation, obviously. Uh, James, you don't know this. I'm a graduate of the University of Central Florida, so uh, they <laughs> tend to have been a bit of a, a hot topic on, on social media and the, the, uh, the Twitter sphere. But um, obviously they're leaving the American Conference. And I just find it weird that we're kind of, you know, looking at UConn within this vacuum of their recent history because you're talking about a program that made five bowl games uh, under Randy Edsel, and actually made a bowl game in 2015, I believe, under Bob Diaco as well, before his tenure kind of took a, a turn for the worst. So I guess I'm the optimist here. Yeah, it was 2015. They went 6-7 and seven and lost to St. Petersburg Bowl to Marshall. But I, I guess I'm the optimist here when it comes to UConn. Yes, the past three years have been ugly. There's no doubt about that. It's been ugly on the field. It's been ugly in the stands. And the, the program is hemorrhaging money. With that being said – it's not like this team hasn't had recent success. There have been programs such as South Carolina and Duke in the 90s who had longer stretches of sustained futility. Um, so I just want to start off, you know, piggyback off what James said about going to, quote, unquote, a lesser conference. I, I don't even think that they can't compete in a, quote, unquote, bigger conference in the American. But with that being said, and I want to pose this question to you guys, is there anyone here who feels that, we're just being a little, you know, uh, a little quick here to just drop the whole, you know, drop UConn to an independent, drop them for football altogether, or even the fact that they may not be able to compete in a conference such as the American. I, I just don't think, yes, you know, it, the the conference since they um, since the conference has been enacted in, in 2014, it's essentially been a fork team league. It's essentially been a UCF, USF, Houston, Memphis league, and the other teams have been competitive, but those have been the main four. But with that being said, I still think that UConn, they should be better than where they are now. I think at best, they're a middle-of-the-pack 
American team who can have the occasional eight or nine win season. Um, I'm just wondering what your guys' thoughts are because I'm just I'm staring at the records here right now from 2007 to 2010. They made four straight bowl games and won uh, eight, 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 and nine. So my uh, Florida math says that's 20. That's that's eight, 16, 20 for 32, 33 games. So I, it's not like this team has just been a doormat for years. So I'm just curious your guys' thoughts on that. Oh no, like. I go into it a little bit more at length in the piece, and I would encourage you to go read the piece over at com. a bit of a shameless self-plug there. But I'm an optimist, too, in the UConn program. I feel like that there's, you know, there's the start of something promising there. It's an extremely young program, and young programs are going to be relatively inconsistent, but that doesn't mean that there isn't room for some sort of future growth. And that's the argument that I made in there, was that UConn just needs to figure out what its focus is on the football side, because for too long, you know, football has kind of just been this secondary thing. And I think that's ultimately what led to UConn being forced into making this decision. Because we have to remember, you know, going back into, you know, 05, 06, 07, that first round of realignment talk, they were trying really hard to get into the ACC, but got narrowed out by Boston College, and some thought that was because Boston College had the better, you know, had the longer, prouder football tradition than UConn, that even though UConn was such a good basketball program. So it's really just, you know, UConn having to sit down and kind of figure out their plan heading into the future. And I have no doubt that they do, that if they do eventually end up in a conference, and again, I, I think the MAC would be the best conference for them to settle into you know like if they can figure out some sort of long-term viable plan they're going to be just fine i just don't know if independence is the right way to go and much less going down a level sure and just to kind of piggyback on that you know it, it wasn't too long ago that uh ucf what they they had a year where they won zero games correct or they won one game they they won yeah, zero games was that scott frost first year or was that before frost scott frost no that was 2015 that was the the last year of the george o'leary era where he resigned four games into the season mm. Right. And my point there, I guess, is in college football, things fluctuate so much that you can't get hung up on wins and losses too much. But obviously, this is a different situation with the finances and the fan attendance and everything like that. But, you know, I think I think the the point remains that like maybe that maybe jumping to a a quote unquote lower conference would help them kind of build themselves up a little bit more but at the same time i think if uh you know given a little bit more time maybe maybe they could get back to a point but obviously they're just not really in a position with all the other combined factors that they can do that clearly yeah it just feels like you know just for for the last i don't know 20 or 30 years yukon has more or less more or less just kind of reacted to things mm-hmm. you know and when they react it's usually a little it's usually a bit too little too late because like we've been we've been dealing with like the anger of UConn fans you know for years you know I can remember UConn fans getting angry back in uh, 2013 when the Big East split off and forced the creation of the American like well why well why didn't the Big East pick us up we're a great basketball program you know like that 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 kind of thing yeah and so like all their decisions have just piled on top of one on top of the other all the way back you know, going up to when they 
brought up the football program from FCS, you know, in the mid-90s. Like, it doesn't feel like there's long-term planning there. It's just like, hey, we have to have this. And great, what, oh, what do we have to do now? Like, they just need to be a little more progressive and forward-thinking. Before we resume our Conference USA football discussion, we're going to take some time to tell you a little bit more about our sponsors and shout out some of the other great podcasts on the SB Nation Network. Be right back. Um, So that's kind of our spiel on the current situation with UConn football. Uh, Excited to see how it plays out. But um, I believe, like, uh, like James mentioned, not going to the MAC right now, as much sense as that move would make. Um, with that, we'll jump into some more talk about uh, MAC football versus Conference USA specifically. Eric, uh, do you want to play good cop first? <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be our role of late where, you know, I play good cop and you play better cop. You know, you can never be the bad cop, Joe. Um, <laughs> uh, all right, James. So we're going to start off here. Just got a couple questions. Uh, what CUSA versus MAC matchups are you looking forward to most in 2019? Well, I looked at the uh, schedule fairly recently, and it looks like there's only four games that I could tell that are being played. I think three of them are at Mac schools, which I thought was really interesting, showed a bit of a dynamic. Uh, I think we have FAU versus Ball State, uh, UAB versus Akron, Louisiana Tech versus Bowling Green, and then Marshall versus Ohio. And I think that's the one that, most fans should circle if they want to watch a uh, Mac CUSA game. Because one, it's uh, the return of a rivalry game. Uh, these two schools were rivals in the Mac in both iterations of Marshall being in the Mac. So there's a trophy on the line. And then uh, also Marshall and Ohio are just two really good football teams. Uh, Ohio has a really good quarterback in Nathan Rourke, we call him Air Canada around these parts, and he's a good Ontario boy. Uh, he is a dual threat, can run and throw. And then you know, Ohio has Frank Solich, a head coach, of course, runs the very classic Nebraska pistol that he ran back when he was the head coach of the Huskers, and he probably ran when he was a fullback of the Nebraska Huskers. So, you know, always depend on Ohio for a great out-of-conference game. It's a rivalry game. Doesn't get much better. And like I said, you guys probably know it better than I do. Marshall's a really good team. Uh, the other one that I was really looking at was uh, UAB versus Akron. That's going to be a really interesting game. I have a, I've followed UAB football you know, since it shut down. I think when I was originally at UDD, I did, a, I did some stories on UAB and that whole thing going down. Uh, so it's really nice to see them come back and be one of the best programs in Conference USA. They're going to go against Akron, who is coming into the season with a new head coach. His name is Tom Arth. He comes from Chattanooga at the FCS level. And it's going to result in a complete kind of flip-flop in philosophy from what Terry Bowden used to run. And I would assume that you know, the Akron game with UAB is because of uh, Bowden's Alabama ties. So it's too bad that we don't, don't get to see old Terry in this one. But I'm really going to be watching. This is going to be Akron's first big test with its new head coach against one of the better group of five teams in the nation. 
Yeah, I just want to piggyback off that a little bit and just kind of get into your thoughts as far as the conference overall. And, you know, I've been a fan of the MAC for a while. You know, I went to grad school in Chicago, uh, so I had a chance to see a couple of NIU games, see a couple of Bowling Green games. And I, I just, you know, I've always been a fan of the conference from afar. Uh, what's your overall expectation for the conference this season as a whole? Honestly, uh, you know, usually in the MAC, there's probably one or two teams that are that really tend to take things, you know, to an elite level. But this year, there's so many, so, so many players that are leaving the conference, whether it's because they've graduated, whether it's because they're going pro, or whether it's transferred, or whether they transferred, rather. It's really difficult to tell who's going to come out on top. And, you know, when it becomes difficult to, to kind of pick out a team where you have this really big middle class uh, and combined of a lot of structural uncertainty when it comes to the rosters, you kind of fall back on the names that you know. Uh, Toledo will probably be the favorite once again coming out of the West. NIU will probably be a close second. The only reason I wouldn't say quite NIU being the favorite in the West is because they're going through a coaching change. They've got a first-year head coach. They've got a graduate quarterback coming in to try and fight for that QB1 spot. So there's going to be some tinkering going on there. I trust uh, Jason Candle's stability at Toledo a little bit more in that situation while uh, Thomas Hammock is still trying to figure out the ropes of being a first-time head coach at any level, if I, can, if I recall correctly. In the East, uh, Team Rebrew is talking about Ohio. They're going to be returning a lot of really good talent over there. And it's really their, it's really their division to lose at that point. The East is facing a lot of rebuilding. Uh, Sean Lewis at Kent State is still going through his rebuilding process in his second year. And they're going to have an absolutely brutal, an absolutely brutal schedule in their out-of-conference season. So I don't even know if they're going to be healthy coming into the conference season. Bowling Green is under a first-year head coach. Akron's under a first-year head coach. Uh, Buffalo loses Tyree Jackson and Anthony Johnson, not to mention, I think, four or five defensive starters, either the graduation or going into the pros. So there's really a lot of change and turnover in the MAC this year as a conference. And honestly, you're probably not going to know a lot about the about how that's all going to break until we get into the games. So I want to ask you about a specific program, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm you know, sort of piling on a program here, but Bowling Green, they've been a program that, you know, they've had success and in, in, in recently in the past couple of years, um, but, you know, with the uh, coaching changes going, um, of course, I'm having a, a blanking right now in the name of Syracuse, because Dino Babers, there we go, uh, with Dino Babers uh, leaving to go to Syracuse and, and Mike Jinks coming on, and that tenure didn't necessarily go as well as planned. Uh, What's the state of the Bowling Green program right now? You know, obviously, uh, covering FIU, I get a chance to see a familiar name that Mac fans are familiar with in, in James Morgan, and his tenure didn't go exactly as planned at Bowling Green. Uh, he was replaced by Jared Doge, and then he now is uh, on his way out as well. So uh, just can you elaborate on Bowling Green a little bit and what's kind of the state of our program? Bad. That's really the word for it. It's bad. It's rebuilding. It's in transition. Any cliche that you can come up with for a 
team on the bottom. That's really what you're going to find here. They hired a coach in Jim Loeffler, who's kind of known as a program builder. He's worked with a lot of the Power Five programs at various positions. He's a really good coordinator and position coach. Uh, he famously coached Tom Brady at the University of Michigan as his offensive coordinator and quarterback coach. Uh, he's bringing on a lot of his guys out from Boston College. I believe he got a running back transfer and a quarterback transfer out of Boston College. But he will be without their most experienced quarterback because Jared Daigie transferred out to West Virginia during the coaching change. So that leaves, I believe, Grant Loy, who's been a backup for, I think, all three years he's been there so far as the quarterback with the most experience returning. Mike Jinks left that program in a really bad state, to put it shortly. He was not really keen on recruiting. The X and O's were a disaster. And it's going to take probably three or four years just to get that program back up and competitive. And that's what Bowling Green hired Loeffler for in the first place. So they're not going to be competitive for a while. If you're a Bowling Green fan, you're probably just, watching for progress at this point. A bowl would be nice, but progress comes first. As a WKU gotcha. that feeling. Dr. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha, James. And uh, Jared Daigie, I'm, I'm glad you uh, you uh, uh, helped me there on the pronunciation there, because that's what I've struggled with. So Jared Daigie was the quarterback I was referencing. Uh, just my last question for you. Uh, the Mac has had a history of, you know, coaches kind of being more or less a breeding ground for coaches heading to the Power Five Conference, a name that I mentioned, and to Syracuse was Dino Babers, who uh, has been able to kind of work wonders with that Syracuse program. has got them heading in the right direction. Uh, who are kind of the, the hot names that we should be keeping an eye on in the MAC who may or may not be leaving in the near future? Well, like I said, there's a lot of first-year head coaches right now, and a lot of coaches who are also in their second year so I wouldn't quite say there's a lot of coaching candidates out there yet coming out of the MAC. Uh, one name that you might hear going forward if there are any firings is Toledo's Jason Candle. He's been linked to head coaching vacancies in the past. And a lot of Toledo coaches, that, yeah, the Toledo coaching tree generally tends to be very good. You got Gary Pinkell out of there. Uh, Matt Campbell down at Iowa State came out of there. So it stands to reason that Jason Candle will end up being a really good head coach no matter where else he goes. That's really the only name I can think of immediately. Uh, another name to look at, maybe not now, but uh, down the road is Jim McElwain, in case anybody forgot. He's in the Mac. He's in his first year at Central Michigan going on his you know, uh, image rehabbing tour, for lack of a better term, mm -hmm. trying to pull up a team from the doldrums. They finished one eleven last season, which is the worst record by win percentage in the school's, I think, 100-year history. Very proud football program at Central. So, yeah, those are probably the two names I'd look at are McElwain and Candle. But McElwain won't be leaving after year one, I don't think. And Candle will probably be a fringe candidate at best. Like I said, rebuilding conference, lots and lots and lots of young coaches. So it'll probably be about two or three years before we start looking around 
for coaches from the MAC for Power 5 positions or other higher-ranking G5 positions. Before we resume our Conference USA football discussion, we're going to take some time to tell you a little bit more about our sponsors and shout out some of the other great podcasts on the SB Nation Network. Be right back. Nice. Uh, Lake Michigan doesn't have any uh, sharks, I believe, so I have a feeling McIlwain uh, might not be there for too long. Um, but, Man, uh, if I had a nickel for every time I heard that. <laughs> It's too easy. I'm sorry. I couldn't help it. Uh, <laughs> By the way, he sports a goatee now. He is oh. in the witness service. He is in the witness protection program. Yes, that and he wearing now sports a salt and pepper goatee. Yeah, growing a growing a goatee and wearing glasses are the two signs uh, to show that time has passed in movies. I found. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, so with uh, with that, then um, I'm sorry, Eric. Do you have any other questions for for James? No, no, no. I'll let you go ahead and, uh, and take it from here. Okay. Uh, so, James, you've uh, you've covered the MAC for a while, and then also uh, covered UAB, like you mentioned for for UDD for a while. Any favorites USA versus MAC uh, rivalries or like individual games that um, really stick out in your memory and all that time? Well, I mean, to be fair, I've uh, this. I think this one uh, might not really count because. Uh, Western was in the either Indy were either FCS Indy or in the Sun Belt at the time. Oh, yeah. But uh, a favorite sneaky underrated rivalry for me, being a Central grad, is Central versus Western Kentucky. They've mm-hmm. only ever played twice, but both games went right down to the wire and were extremely memorable. I was uh, in attendance for WKU's first bowl game as an FCS member in Detroit. That came down to, you know, a fourth quarter defensive stop over there in Ford Field. And then the infamous Bahamas Bowl. Right. Anybody remembers that. So that's a really nice rivalry. Like I said earlier, uh, Marshall, Ohio, probably a really good Conference USA rivalry. About as good as it gets in general there. I do always love to watch FAU and FIU uh, when I started playing NCAA football for the first time as a little kid i always chose fiu because the logo looked really cool they had a great name so i've always had a soft spot for them yeah of course uh doesn't get much better than uh watching uab and la tech go at each other i have friends that went to both schools so it's always nice to you know really you know close friends that went to both schools so it's really nice to watch them get at each other during that week For sure, definitely, yeah. definitely some fun rivalries between these two leagues and uh, and within the two leagues for sure. Um, one thing that both CUSA and the MAC have in common is uh, they seem to be going for a lot of the same recruits. In your opinion, what advantage or disadvantage does the MAC have in that area when you compare it to CUSA? All right, so the thing that people will immediately nag on CUSA for is their TV deal, you know, because Brand brand recognition is a really big thing when it comes to collegiate sports. And so Conference USA has a really confusing television and streaming deal that involves, God, what is it now? It's up to like four channels because you've got CBS, you have NFL Network, you have Stadium, you have Facebook, you know, all over the place. And, you know, last year you had BN Sports, rest in peace to BN Sports. Yeah. So, you know, if you're telling your recruit, you know, your 
your family can watch you, especially if they're far away. Like if, if it's, say, somebody recruiting for Somis and Somis goes up to Ohio to recruit this guy, it's like, oh, your family will be able to watch you. It's like, yeah, where? And, well, there's four channels. Well, why? That, that's so many channels. How will I know, you know, on a given week? It's really confusing. Uh, the Mac, in that respect, has a great deal with ESPN showing the uh, midweek action on the ESPN family of cable networks. And then you have every game pretty much guaranteed uh, on what used to be ESPN3 and also ESPN+. Plus. The Mac and the ESPN have a big partnership where ESPN gives all these Mac schools, you know, equipment and teaches them how to use it. You know, the relationship has worked very well for all those schools so far. And so, like, the, the production is just better, and people recognize these teams because they see them on TV every single week in the Mac. Another thing the Mac has over Conference USA is the Mac is one of the oldest conferences in college football. There's a lot of program stability there. You know, Ohio was an original charter member. Miami was an original charter member. Uh, Western and Central joined pretty much right after. You know, your youngest programs are Buffalo and Akron, and they have been in the MAC for their entire existence since the late 90s. Mm -hmm. uh, even NIU, who left for the Big West and briefly went independent, eventually came back to the MAC. So the thing that you can say there is that these programs are stable. You know, uh, Conference USA just kind of feels like a hodgepodge of programs that are together. The rivalries might not be as tight each other the conference is a little too spread out maybe for some people's disliking things of that nature those are the two things that you would harp on in terms of like the mac advantages in recruiting over the conference usa it's program stability and visibility uh, the one thing conference usa might have on the mac is competitiveness there's a lot of competitiveness in conference usa especially like you say you know They've been, they've been hiring a lot of really good coaches. You have Lane Kiffin down there. You have uh, Butch Davis down there. You have Bill Clark down there. There's coach after coach after coach that was really phenomenal programs. You're going to get coached really well down there. So that might be one advantage the Conference USA has. Is in, in terms of competitiveness, those teams know how to play. And they get con pretty consistently ranked as well, whereas the Mac tends to struggle a little bit when it comes to the polling because the Mac is perceived as probably the worst of the group of five conferences competing, you know, with the Sun Belt for that designation. And even the Sun Belt recently has gotten extremely competitive. Yeah, all uh, all very good points on uh, on that front. Speaking of players, uh, there's been there's been a couple Mac to CUSA transfers over the years. Most notable one from the last couple of years, probably James Morgan, uh, FIU quarterback who won CUSA Newcomer of the Year last season. Uh, for you, do any other players in that category of Mac to Conference USA transfers stand out to you from the last two, three years? Well, I have to say, I haven't. The, James Morgan is really the only one that I can immediately recall off the top of my head. And he really made a splash. Uh, uh, Morgan, when he was recruited, he was a four-star quarterback out of Wisconsin. 
Dino Babers pulled him in really quick over at Bowling Green. He was set to be the future before Babers left that program and left it with Jink. And it was really, you know, Morgan transferring out that brought Jared Dagey down to Bowling Green and set up that whole quarterback situation. So it was really nice to see James finally get some run down there at FIU, you know, with Butch Davis, who has shown himself to be an excellent offensive mind. That would be probably like the one Mactus USA transfer that I would say is an excellent job. But I have noticed there are a couple of uh, Mac to group of five mm-hmm. and FCS transfers that could make a bit of an impact. Uh, Art Tompkins is transferring from Toledo to UConn to fight for their running back one spot. And Tompkins was an excellent uh, third back because uh, Toledo has always had the luxury of having elite running backs. You know, one, two, three, four down line. And Tompkins figured he might have a better chance at UConn. He's excellent in pass catching, pretty speedy, needs to gain a little more weight and power. Uh, Quentin Dormady, he transferred from Houston via Tennessee. He's going to be the new starter in likelihood over at Central Michigan of Jim McElwain. That'll be uh, really interesting to watch fly out this season. And then uh, Kareem Ali Jr., he's transferring from Temple to Western to play corner over there. And that is a corner roster that is depleted in Western. He'll fight immediately for a starter's job. In terms of transfers to FCS programs, Emmanuel Reed, he was the third running back in Buffalo behind uh, Jared Patterson. And I can't recall the name of immediately off the top of my head. He's going to be going to Maine, and he'll fight for time over there. In terms of uh, Division Two, we had a couple of Division Two transfers. Quinton Maxwell, who lost the job to Nathan Rourke, I want to say last season or the season before, he's going to be at Indiana University, Pennsylvania as a grad transfer. He's immediately eligible down there, and he should be really good at that level of play. And then uh, Justin Rankin, he was a running back and receiver out at Kent State. I always love Justin Rankin as a player. Excellent acceleration, uh, versatility in terms of being able to play on the offense. He'll be going to Division II power Northwestern Missouri State. So be sure to keep your eyes on him. Right. I I feel like I've heard Northwest Missouri State uh, once or twice. So that that could be a good fit for him. Um, Finally, we talked about it earlier a bit in the show about CUSA versus Matt Games in Matt Country coming up this season, notably in uh, Akron, Ohio, Bowling Green, Ohio, and uh, Muncie, Indiana, home of Ball State, obviously. Um, James, I don't know how much you've traveled around the conference too much, but um, can you give us any food recommendations or bar recommendations for those cities as CUSA teams make their way out, make their way out there to see their teams? Yeah, well, Okay, well, I did. I did send out. I did send out the signal to uh, a couple old friends of mine from those campuses, and they came back with some really good suggestions. Uh, over in Akron, there is a place called Diamond Della, uh, the, the, the Diamond Della Caxton. Yeah, it's you know a, a deli place. It's really nice. They've got a lot of really good sandwiches over there. Service is really quick, and the thing that makes uh, Diamond Della Caxton unique is not only the outside. It's a very classic, you know, 1940s style deli setup. But also the inside is just filled with a bunch of Akron memorabilia. It's uh, quintessentially college atmosphere in there. 
uh, at Bowling Green, there's the campus Polyeyes. I really hope I'm pronouncing that right. Apparently, the uh, breadsticks are the breadsticks and sauce are absolutely to die for over there. That was like the surefire number one Bowling Green thing that all my Bowling Green friends told me. Poly eyes. And then for Ball State, there's a place called Greek's Pizza. It is super aesthetic. Checkerboard and red and white everywhere you look. Quintessentially Indiana, you know, all sorts of Indiana memorabilia, you know, with Ball, you know, Ball State, Indiana Pacers, Indianapolis Colts kind of stuff hanging around all over the place. And they have a really unique pizza over there that's kind of like a pan pizza hybrid. I feel, you know, really fluffy crust. And it's, you know, uh, kind of in between like a personal size and a small size in the pictures I saw over there, but they definitely recommended that. Starting to sound pretty good. Uh, it's getting to be about dinner time and uh, where all of us are really. So I think probably should start wrapping that up and uh, get ourselves fed here. But um, once again, thanks everybody for listening to the Conference USA Underdog Podcast. Um, if you haven't already, follow at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter, like us on Facebook as well, and um, go check out hustlebelt.com as well. Lots of good Mac content if you're a uh, just a general G5 uh, football connoisseur. Um, and follow our guest, James Jimenez, on Twitter at AVKingJames. Uh, does a lot of great work over there, both, uh, both on the social side and uh, just contributing to hustle belt as well um with that we will say thank you once again uh keep checking out the uh the site every day for more g5 football goodness throughout the off season and uh subscribe to this show on itunes and leave us a review as well really helps us grow uh until we talk to you again probably next week at this point uh have a great holiday weekend and uh, happy football watching everybody 